Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We are in a series called The King Before the King. We're taking a look at the life of David. David was a godly leader, a great man, and he is a, the prefigure of Christ in the Old Testament. He's the prefigure of a God-anointed, ordained king. And, and so we, we look at David to see Jesus. But we also have to understand that because of Jesus, we are made children. We are made heirs of God. So, so not only do we see Jesus in David, but we see the New Testament believer, the saint. We see ourselves in the lives of David. And so today, as we look at this next chapter in his life, I want you to see where you can see yourself in this story and see what God would speak to us today. Today, my title is The Kindness of a King. The Kindness of a King. And I want to talk to you from this idea, how God helps those who cannot help themselves. How God helps those who cannot help themselves. Are you ready for the Word of God awakening? Amen? Second Samuel chapter 4, it says this in the Word of God. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. And he was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan and their death came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast, Mephibosheth. Some of you are looking for biblical names. Might I present to you Mephibosheth? (laughs) We have Judah and Micah, but Mephibosheth is not the next one. Second Samuel chapter 9 says, says this. The story continues. And David said, David, the king said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And the servant replied, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? Then King David sent and brought him, Mephibosheth, from the house of Machir, son of Emil, at Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth arrived, the son of, of Jonathan, son of Saul, he came to David and he fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your father, your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table always. Listen to these promises. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness, and I will restore you, and you shall eat at my table always. David is a picture of Jesus, and we are a picture of Mephibosheth. And and in this story, we see tragedy striking a young man. And we see it bringing him into a place of brokenness, but we see a good king reaching down and raising him up and restoring his soul. Today, I want to talk to you about a God that remembers, that rescues, and that restores his children. You serve a God 
that remembers his children, that restores what was lost in their life and, and, and will rescue them from the grip of sin and shame and death. You serve a God that raises you up. Amen? Come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work today. And we pray right now as I speak, God, will you speak? And Lord, we ask for restoration and forgiveness to flow. We ask for you to come and change us today that we are never the same again. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. We find David now a king. He was plucked from uh, the shepherd's fields. You remember when we met him, he was in the middle of nowhere, forgotten by everybody, left aside, cast aside by everybody. And yet at this moment in our story, David has moved from the shepherd's field and his kingdom has been established. His palace is in Jerusalem. His throne is unassailable. He had moved from that place of nothingness, yet God saw him. He moved from the shepherd's field to the battlefield. And because he stepped up, Goliath fell. Because as we know, it wasn't David versus Goliath, it was God versus Goliath. And as long as you're allied with God, you're gonna win. And, and, and more than that, he, he stepped into a place when Saul, who was a picture of a spiritless king, Saul became angry because he could tell there was something on David, and he just began to throw spears at him. And what we learn from that is that sometimes people, even people in authority, will throw spears at you, but because they recognize the God in you. And David had to persevere and forgive through that. And finally, Saul died, Jonathan died, and David's kingdom was established, the first thing he does is bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem because he says, I cannot rule without the Spirit of God. I cannot make decisions without the presence of God. I cannot build my house until the house of the Lord is established. It's the blessing that overflows onto the kingdom of Israel. And now David's throne has been established. All these things have been accomplished and he's sitting on his throne and he begins to reminisce. It's interesting You can only begin to reminisce after you're out of survival mode. You know what I mean? When you're no longer under the pressure, we're no longer under the gun, now you can begin to think creatively. Now you can begin to kind of open up, you know? Whenever I talk to a new parent, I say, uh, just survive the first three months. We'll see you in three months. But it's like after three months, you come back into the world like someone coming out of a cave you know, that guy that slept for like a hundred years, you know, Rip Van Winkle, come out of the cave and you find out what's going on. Everything shut down. No, <laughs> you just got to survive, you know, and then you can come out and you can go on a date, you know. David is now in the place where he can begin to think and reminisce about how did I get here? How did this all happen? How did I go from a forgotten nobody, a shepherd's boy to the king? And And he begins to remember what God did. He begins to remember those that went before him. He begins to go into the past to discover his next steps for the future. And I think that this is a just a godly principle of understanding where you came from and understanding what God did for you as you begin to make your next steps forward. The older I get, the more interested I get in the things that came before me. The older I get, the more interested I get in history. The more I get interested I get in, uh, in how my identity got formed and, and, and what, what made me, you know? Like, like I, I'm not interested in, in new things. I don't want to watch new movies. 
you know? I never could figure out why my dad never watched new movies, you know? It's like he stopped in 96. He just watches Tombstone over... And I never got it. But now I get it. It's like, ah, these movies, days, you know? I want to just watch Lord of the Rings forever, you know? You know, I'm more interested in things that went before me. My wife and I, we, we go to antique stores a lot. And uh, I didn't expect any, any uh, applauses on that or excitement. <laughs> You know, it's, it's just kind of a relaxing thing to do. And, but the thing that makes me nervous now about going to these antique stores is I'm beginning to see things that I owned when I was a kid at antique stores. And every time it's starting to get me frustrated, like, hey, I, 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 I am not that old. I had that. I'm having an existential crisis. Like, n- hold on. Death is coming close. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you begin to get older, you begin to think about what came before you, and, and you begin to think about who helped you along the way. And, and David, the Bible says, remembers his covenant with his friend Jonathan. See, David had a close friend in the name, in, in, with a young man named Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. And, and David says, hey, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Is there anyone left of the king that came before me? And they said, well, there is Jonathan's son. Well, Jonathan was best friends with David. Jonathan was knitted heart and soul with David. This is amazing because Jonathan should not have been his friend. Jonathan should have been David's enemy. Jonathan was the rightful heir of this throne. Jonathan was the one that should be ruling and reigning. But when David showed up, and obviously the hand of God was on him, Jonathan said, if God's chosen you, I'm with you. This is shocking. If you are ever so lucky lucky to have a Jonathan in your life, make sure you acknowledge that as a gift from God. And if you're ever able to be a Jonathan, it is a righteous calling. He he says, I'm with you because you're anointed. See, Jonathan could have been bitter, just as Saul was. He could have been frustrated and say, no, I'm the rightful king. It's my lineage. It's my calling. It's my identity. It's me and me and I. But instead, he said, if God has chosen you, then I've chosen to stand with you. And they made a covenant together. Now David has the throne. And he remembers his covenant with his friend who should have been his enemy. I want you to know something about your king, about God. God is a God of covenants. God has enough time to remember the promises he's made. God has enough strength. He has established his throne enough. He has enough power to remember the covenants he made with his people and get to work on them. God is a covenantal God. We see from the very beginning, God comes to Noah and makes a covenant with him and says, never again shall I destroy the earth through a flood. That was a covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you are my friend, should be my enemy. I call you friend and I will make great nations to come from you. And to this day, the three major religions all track themselves back to this covenant that God made with Abraham. He stands alone as a figure in history because of the strength of God's covenant. But I've got good news for you today. God has made a covenant with you. He has made a covenant with your children. He has made a covenant with your legacy. He has made a covenant with the church. And I want you to know this covenant was not a small thing for him to engage with. It had a high cost. It cost him his own blood. He signed it 
and he sealed it with his own blood, the blood of the Lamb. Jesus says this at the Last Supper, when he's gathered his disciples around him at the table, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, God's covenant was made at the cross. And God, when he gave up his life, he gave us a brand new covenant of life. No longer are we under the authority of death because there's a new covenant. Come on, it's the covenant of grace. It's the covenant of mercy. It's the covenant of brand new life. And Jesus says to us today, you were bought with a price and I paid a high price for your life. I will not leave you forgotten or waylaid by sin and shame. I have bought you for myself, covered you in my blood that you might receive new life. And I've got good news for you today. God does not forget his covenants. Amen. He remembers you, and he remembers the promises he has made to you. And if you want to discover those promises, you only have to read what he has written down. This is his covenant, covenantal word. And, and he makes it with us who should be his enemies, yet God says, no, no, when I make the covenant with you, you're going to become my friend. Remember at that same supper table, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Why? Because of the new covenant. We should, we should be cast out, but we're welcomed in because of the new covenant. This is what we see in Mephibosheth's life. This is what we see in our life. And, and, and this is my word for you today that God remembers you and he remembers what he spoke to you. God remembers the promises he's made to your life. The Bible says that God, it, God desires to give you the desires of your heart. God is not death to the things hidden deep in your heart, especially when they're things that are aligned with the word of God and God's calling for you. You say, God, this is my desire. I want to help like this. I want to serve like this. I'm hoping I can use my talents and my giftings like this. I want you to please hear me. God notices those things. And it is his desire to bring those things out of your heart and into fruition. It's his promise that I made a covenant and I will see it through. And you might say, well, it's been a long time. But if he made a covenant, he will see it through. And the eternal God who exists outside of time will come at just the right moment and bring these things together. Stay faithful. You are not forgotten. You are not left out. You are not lost. He knows you. He's thinking of you. And he will keep his covenants with you. Some of you feel like, well, my children, they, they were raised in the church, and, and, they, and they, I, I brought them here, and I raised them on the carpets, and they got baptized here, but now they're off, they're gone, they're lost. But hear me, the Word of God remains true. Raise up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, they will not depart. His Spirit is chasing them down, and I believe that it is very difficult to outrun God. Amen. He's coming after them. I spoke to someone this past year, and he was talk talking to me about his daughter who got involved in, in all sorts of addictions, and he's saying, will you pray with me? I've been praying for her for 20, 30 years, and I said, let's start praying, and we were. And every Sunday, he would come up, and he would update me about her status and what's going on, and, and all of a sudden, her walk began to move out of addiction supernaturally after all of this time. She had lost uh, rights to her children because of that addiction, but yet as she was getting clean, this time was taking the judges, uh, the law was 
taking notice of it, and she was receiving rights back for her children. He said, hey, will you pray with me that she'll come to church? We prayed. She came. She got saved at church. Now she's restored. She is drug-free. She is the mother of her children. God makes and keeps his covenants. Keep praying. Keep having faith. Keep believing because he's a good king and he remembers his friendship. He remembers his promises. David says, is there anyone left I can show kindness to? What a king. He uses power not to subjugate, not to oppress, but to show kindness to. Power, power in the hands of righteous men and women. Release kindness to the children, to the future generations. Power in the hands of wicked men and women, release death and subjugation to future generations. I just want you to please hear me because people want to tell you in society that all power is oppressive and that's an ungodly idea. That's an ungodly idea. Jesus is the picture of all power and yet he shows kindness to his people. He is a good God and you can be a good leader. So let's deal with that lie right here and now. Is there anyone I can show kindness to? And and they say, well, there is still a son. And it's the son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in his feet. He's broken. There is still a son, but he's not who he once was. I can't preach this sermon, but can I tell you, there's a whole sermon right here on there is still a son. You might be hurt or broken, but you're still a son. You're still a, still a daughter of the Most High. And you might say, well, how could I still be a son? Because there is still a son. And his name is Jesus. And because of him, you are still a child of the Most High God. Another sermon for another time. But what a truth. There's still a son. Son of Jonathan. But he's broken. What happened? What led him to this place of being unable to be mobile, to use his feet and Because something had to happen, and the story goes that when Saul went into a battle that he shouldn't have been fighting, went into a battle that the Spirit of God warned him not to engage him, Saul died. And not only did Saul die, but he he took his son down with him, and Jonathan died standing next to him. When David heard the news about their death, he didn't celebrate that his enemy was dead. David began to weep, and he said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's where the phrase comes from. He said, together in life, now together in death. Jonathan, so faithful, stood by his father's side. Even though his father was wicked, he stood with him. And they died together. But when news reached the palace that they had fallen, the palace went into chaos because they knew next up was going to be them. And so, so in the midst of this tragedy... They had to try and rescue what was left of the house of Saul. And and the nurse, the caretaker, who was in charge of Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, she scooped him up. But but because she was was in in chaos all around her and in her haste, she made a mistake. And she dropped this five-year-old child. and, And he broke both of his legs in that moment. And he never recovered. For the rest of his life, the Bible says he was lame in both of his feet. He was unable to, to walk for the whole rest of his life because of this mistake that this nurse made. What happened? Mephibosheth fell. And that's the truth of humanity, that we all have fallen. Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Not just some. All have been found in situations where we were dropped. All of us have been born into brokenness. That's original sin. Because Adam sinned, 
We all sinned. Because Adam sinned, we all were born under death. It's this fallen state of the world we were born into. And, and that's why there is chaos and death and pestilence and plague. It came in through Adam's sin. And it reigns on earth. But there's still a sun in heaven. There's a greater king. And the greater king is about to get involved with the fallen sons. So God... David says, says I, I want to find out what happened to him. And they, they said, they, they, they tell him he, he, he was dropped, he, he fell. The one that was supposed to take care of him had ended up hurting him. And, and this is the picture of humanity. This is the picture of our lives is that, is that we're born into broken situations. And, and, and what I find so interesting about this. It, it, yes, it was the action of his forefathers that put him in this place. It's the action of Adam that put everybody, all of humanity into this place. But, 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 but I want you to keep in mind, the nurse that dropped him never meant to hurt him. She meant to help him. She was trying to save him. She was trying to protect his life. She was trying to be his caretaker when everyone else was gone. Here's this woman who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. But because she was filled with fear, she was motivated by fear, she ended up making foolish decisions. And I got to tell you, every single time you're motivated by fear, you'll end up making costly mistakes. It's amazing how many times when you're in the storm that you'll lose your faith. You might say, well, Jesus is in the boat. Yeah, but are you seeing this storm? So many times when things get upside down, people end up making mistakes and it begins to harm those we were called to protect. And, and I, I say this because many of you were hurt by the people who were supposed to help you. Many of you were harmed, even at a young age, by those that were supposed to be your caretakers, your mother or your father, a teacher. Someone that was in a position to form you ended up breaking you. And, and I would suggest to you today that that did happen and, and that was wrong and there are repercussions of it, but I would suggest to you today that many of those people that hurt you the worst did not do it intentionally. Many of them were doing their best, but they had the inability to rescue you because they weren't the king. They were broken people themselves. In fact, many of the people that broke you, that let you down, they were also broken. And they were let down. That's how brokenness works, you know, it's cyclical. Hurt people, hurt people. And, and I'm not negating what they did, but I'm saying many times their motivation was to help you, but they didn't have the ability. Some of you say, well, Jordan, you don't know. My mom was an alcoholic. And, 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 and I can't imagine what it was like growing up underneath that, but I, I could say most likely her mom was an alcoholic. We say my dad left. Most likely his father left. You know, daughters of divorce are 60% more likely to get divorced because brokenness breeds brokenness. And so here's this woman that's trying to help, but she... She makes a mistake and she cripples this young man. Now Mephibosheth has to live out this brokenness caused at a young age for the rest of his life. He no longer is who he is supposed to be. Supposed to be king, supposed to be royalty. Now he's no longer not that. In fact, in fact he, he's living in this hurt state. And, and, the, and the, the truth is, that's everybody. Everyone who's ever lived has, has been hurt by those who've gone before them. Everyone. And... and and 
The problem is sometimes we justify our bitterness and all that based on, well, they dropped me. And that's true, they did. But I would suggest if you could see their humanity and let them go, God could begin to work healing in your life. Amen? Because you can, you can justify your, your lack of progression based on where you started. You can justify it based on your family of origin. You can justify it even be right. But, but, but hear me, that will only breed bitterness and blame and more brokenness. It, 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 it's not enough to be right. God's got something better than right. He's got righteousness. God's got something greater than, than you being justified in your place of helplessness based on your past. God says, yeah, but I'm the king. But I'm the king. If God is for me, who can be against me? So we have to turn away from what happened to us to what does God have for us. David starts saying, where is he? Where is he? I believe right now the king is calling this for you. Where are you? Where are you? I believe right now that God is searching for you. The king is searching for you. Where are you? I want you to know he doesn't ever leave you in the broken place. Jesus went to the cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they do so that he could pull you out of the broken place. Jesus went into the earth so that he could raise you from the earth. Jesus gave his blood so that you could be replenished. Jesus has been searching for you. The king has been searching for you. David says, where is the son? Where are you? I, I hear so many people saying phrases like, I feel unseen by God. Or I feel abandoned by God. And many times you hear it, even especially in this last year. I, 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 feel, I feel distant from God. I feel lost. And, and, and that's a place where so many people find themselves and they say, God has abandoned me. But can I tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Can I expose the lie? Let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is the king is on the throne saying, where is she? Where is he? Where are they at? What's, what's going on in their life? I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. I'm reaching for you. I'm sending messengers for you. You're here today, and God sent me to tell you this. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. You are not cast down. You are not destroyed. He is looking right at you right now and saying, I've got something for you. You're still my son. Where is he? David begins to search. He begins to look because he is going to lift him up out of a broken place. Think about it. This is exactly what God said the moment Adam fell. Do you remember? God walks in the garden, and Adam had just failed. He had just sinned. He had just walked into brokenness. And what's the first thing God says? He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? So you think, well, no, I sinned. Well, well I screwed up. I, I know, but listen to the voice of God. He's not angry, he's not frustrated, and he is not distant. He's walking into your life saying, I'm right here. And if you would draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Think of the prodigal son when he finally comes to himself and he realizes my servants, my father's house, the servants there have it better than this. The Bible says he comes back home, but here's the key. The father spots him from a long way off. Why? Because dad was searching. God looks for you. He's not against you. So many times we believe an unbiblical theology of karma. 
but that's not Christianity. Well, I did bad, therefore God's ignoring me. Well, I screwed up, therefore God's not going to hear my prayer. No, 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 I, I missed church. I missed church, so me and God, well, I don't know where we're at. I want you to know God is not a cosmic referee. Huh? Take some points off the board. Put it on the sin board. Put it on the sin. Oh, goodness. They're, they're not going to, there's going to be no comeback here. You see these? They need to get Tom Brady on the field right now. They're, that's not God. Let me tell you who God is. God says, I'm looking for you. I'm running after you. I'm coming for you to rescue you, to restore you, and to raise you up out of your brokenness. The reality is God is on the search for your soul to welcome you back. And, and the servants say to him, they say, well, he's in Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means nothing. It means no thing. Debar means thing. Lo means no. Where is he? Pff, he's nowhere. What's he doing? He's doing nothing. You know what's interesting? Mephibosheth's name means idol breaker. Isn't it amazing that the one that was supposed to break idols instead got broken? The one that was supposed to expose the enemy was, was broken by the enemy. The one that was supposed to rule now is doing nothing. And if we're not careful, that's where we'll find ourselves. Because the Bible says, apart from God, you can do nothing. But here's the good news. God does his best work out of nothing. In the beginning, there's only darkness, there's only void, there was nothing. But God is creator ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, something. If you have nothing to bring, if you've got nothing to produce, if you have lost your identity, I want you to know you can come back to your creator who can work from that place. He will bring you from Lodabar to Jerusalem. He will bring you from nowhere to the house of God. He will bring you from nothing to the presence of God. He will restore your identity. He will restore what was stolen from you. He is a God that not only is searching for you, he has great plans for you, and he is going to bring you to the house of God. He is going to reestablish your house for you and your children and your children's children. He is a good God. And when, when, when Mephibosheth comes forward, he's nervous, and, and he comes into the, the, the temple where, where the king that should be his enemy is. He doesn't know if he's about to be killed, because, you know, that, that's what would have happened back then. When new kings took over, what they would do is they would wipe out the lineage of former kings. They would kill all the former king's sons, like in Godfather 2, so they wouldn't grow up and take revenge. That was how it went down. And so Mephibosheth thinks, I'm going to my death. But he's a good king. We deserve death. Raised to life. Come on, we deserve to be enemies, but God's going to show his kindness to us. We serve a good king. And the first thing the king says to Mephibosheth is, fear not. Come on, don't fear. You're in the palace in the courtyard of the king today. I just got to tell you again, for the 20th time this year, do not fear. God is greater than our government. God is greater than our finances. God is greater than your workplace. Do not fear. The king is on the throne. You're in his presence. He's got good plans for you. Do not fear. For I will show kindness for the sake of Jonathan. He, the king looks on Jonathan and blesses his son. It's like what God does. He looks on Jesus and blesses us. 
I will show kindness for the sake of Jonathan. And, and, and then it, it goes from there. The promises begin to build. And he says, it says, not only will I show kindness to you, it goes on, he says, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. What was lost will be restored. What the enemy took, God will restore. He's a covenantal God. David didn't have to do this, by the way. David could have said, you lost it, it's mine now. But see, God gives, I, I don't even know how to explain this with words. I guess mercy is, is getting, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mephibosheth did not deserve these lands, but God says, but I'm, I'm the God of grace. So I'm going to give you double for what you lost. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in three points. Do not fear. Why? Because God will show kindness. And God will restore. And here's the final promise. It's ours. And you shall eat at my table always. This word always beckons to eternity. You will eat at my table forever. Into eternity. So maybe on earth you'll have a difficult time. But know that God is bringing you through the process. That in heaven there is an eternal promise for you. And it was promised by Jesus to his disciples. At the Last Supper, he says, we're eating a meal together. He said, but we'll eat another meal again. And that meal will be in heaven. And it will be at the festival of the Lamb. And I want you to know, he has sent out the messenger to the highways and the byways. And he says, anyone who wants to come, you are invited to come. We are invited to the table of the King. That we might eat in eternity with Jesus. You know what's so beautiful about this picture? Mephibosheth, who was dropped by his caretaker, is picked up now by his king. And every day, he's carried to the table. This is what God does with us. He carries us out of our brokenness. He carries us out of our inability. Think of this picture. When Mephibosheth is seated at the table, it covers his brokenness. He's like every other son at that table. He's treated like a son of David. He's not seen for what he can't do. He's seen in a place of who God called him to be. God carries. When Jesus died and was buried, he went into the ground so that we might be lifted with him in resurrection. This is the gospel. The table is yours, set in eternity for you and for me. God remembers, God rescues, and God restores. So Mephibosheth, today I would encourage you to redirect your hope to a good king. Today I would encourage you to receive his grace. Today I would encourage you to remind him of his covenants with you. When you pray, bring the covenants before you. And today I would encourage you, walk away from the things that that would keep you in brokenness. Uh, Disattach yourself from the justifications of brokenness and receive brand new life. What happened, you can't change, but the future is beautiful and the future is bright and the king is looking at you and he wants to restore you and carry you and bless you. And so today we receive what God has for us in the future. And even if the days grow dark, he is our light and we will go grow brighter and brighter until the full revelation of heaven in our lives. Come on, how many are thankful that Jesus came after them in their darkest? Come on, how many are thankful that Jesus healed them? Come on, are you thankful that Jesus did not forget you? 
Come on, are you thankful that he remembers your name and restores it? Mephibosheth goes from being broken back to idol breaker. That's who you're called to be. When we serve God, we cast down false gods. And today, I want to encourage you to receive that covenant. This is a simple thing, but it's a spiritual thing. To receive that covenant, to remember his grace, and to say, God, today is a, is a, is a day where I, I mark it, where I move from who I was or what happened to me to who you are and how you've called me. Today, I receive your grace that carries me to the table. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.